Welcome to In Your Corner, the number anytime, 1-855-821-5900. Help at inyourcorner.ca. And a reminder, Global TV show In Your Corner happens Sundays at 8.30 in the morning. James, Savan, welcome, guys. Uh, by the way, this is a, a bit of a special show. We have got a contribution from our uh, our insurance man, Terry Corcoran, who, by the way, is going to be on a future show. This guy has been on the uh, the inside of the insurance business, was for many years. So he's got uh, literally the inside scoop. So we'll get to some stuff that he uh, he gave us for today. In fact, three facts you may not know about your LTD disability claim. That's coming up. But we always start, uh, Pally, with the uh, the week that was. What's going on? Well, John, let me start off with uh, a non-long-term disability case. I know we always talk about long-term disability. But, you know, at the firm, we also do injury claims, slip and falls, car accidents, you know, in situations where people get injured uh, and it's not necessarily their fault and uh, they want to know if they're entitled to compensation. So uh, I got a call this week from this gentleman who is in his uh, early 50s and he slipped and fell on an icy uh, walkway just outside of a mall. And this happened just this past January. Mm -hmm. He broke his right knee and he needed surgery. In fact, his orthopedic surgeon told him that he's probably going to be a candidate for a knee replacement in the future. Luckily, his son, who was with him, took photographs of the area where he fell, Smart. and you could see clearly that there was no salt anywhere. There were patches of ice, large patches of ice. Uh, there was no sand. So the maintenance was really, really lacking. And this gentleman is, is a mechanic. He's been a mechanic for over uh, 20 years. Makes pretty good money, about $70,000 a year. And he's going to be off work for a while. Doesn't have any access to disability plans. He's going to, you know, he's going to go on uh, EI sick benefits, obviously, yep. but he's going to lose a lot of money. And so he called me to find out what can I do about that. And, you know, I told him, listen, we have to start a claim right now. And there's a few things that we have to do before we start a claim. We have to put certain entities on notice. We have to write a letter to the mall owners. Uh, we have to figure out who is responsible for the area, for maintaining the area. Usually they have winter maintenance contractors. Right. All of these different companies that are going to be involved, they all uh, generally have insurance companies. And what, we, what we're trying to do is get all of these insurance companies involved from the beginning. And that's not something that every lawyer who does this area of law, who practices in this area of law, does. And you need to do that. And you need to do that because if you want to achieve a resolution, uh, hopefully sooner rather than later, you want to make sure that all the parties who are potentially going to be putting up money to resolve the claim are going to be at the table when we go to a mediation or whatever else we're going to be doing. Uh, so it's very important to understand. Now, when he asked me, well, what can I expect to get? I said, well, that depends yeah. on what's going to happen with your health, with your knee. If you're going to go back to work, for example, in a year, and you, you know, and let's say you've lost sixty thousand dollars for that year because you got some benefits, some let's say EI sick benefits, well, then we're going to be claiming that loss, the sixty thousand. But guess what? Now he has a compromised knee, so he may have a residual type of a loss for the future. In other words, he may have difficulties uh, um, working as a mechanic until he's sixty-five or seventy or however right. long he wanted to do. So, you know, when I tallied up the various numbers, here's how much you can, you know, be looking to get for pain and suffering. Here's how much potentially for income loss. Here's how much for potential future care if you need rehab that's not covered by any plan. You're looking at a claim that's well into the six figures. And, you know, he, he was taken aback by that because he figured, you know what, listen, it's a knee injury. It's pretty severe, but I didn't realize that I am potentially entitled to that much money. So, again, you want to make sure that people there are, are aware of their rights if you slipped and fell, if you were in a car accident, you suffered an injury, and it was because of somebody else's negligence, you are entitled to compensation 
it doesn't cost anything for us to have a chat with you. And usually, you know, these discussions are over the phone. And if you don't want to proceed, you don't have to proceed. But at least you'll know what your rights are and you'll know how much money you are potentially entitled to get. Really interesting case. Um, One of the things I really want to talk about and focus on here is the fact that this gentleman was fortunate enough to have photographs of the scene um, when it happened. That's really critical for a couple of reasons. First of all, in doing that, you obviously put yourself in a much better position when you're arguing about what the condition was of the area where he fell down the road. You have pictures that were taken contemporaneously right at the moment that it happened that show without question there was no maintenance done. So that's very good for you in the long run for your legal claim. But it's also really critical at the outset. If you've had a slip and fall, you don't have the benefit that people who are in car accidents have where you have insurance that will pay for your treatment, your recovery process. Now, perhaps you're lucky enough to have extended health coverage, and if you are, that's great. But if you slip and fall and you don't have that kind of coverage, then you're going to want to have someone else pay for it if possible. And if you have these photographs that show that it is very, very clearly there was no maintenance done, that either the property owner or the maintenance contractor are going to be responsible for it, and they know they're going to be responsible for it, and it's just a matter of how much. It is my experience that quite frequently they will be agreeable to paying for your treatment at the outset. And the reason for that is simple. It's in their best interest. If you get treatment early, your end result is going to be better. And they understand that. And they also understand that whether they pay for the treatment now or later, they're still going to have to pay for it. Even if they make you go out of pocket, they're still going to have to pay for it at the end. So they might as well pay for it now and put you in the best position to get a good result. So getting those photographs is critical. It's absolutely critical if you, you know, if you're one of the few people who happens to be walking around without a camera on your phone, then have someone take a picture of it for you. If you're not able to do it or you don't have your own phone with a camera on it, make sure somebody gets a photograph as soon as possible. We'll uh, take a short break, continue, and again, we'll get to the uh, three facts you may not know about your long-term disability claim, that courtesy of our pal Terry Corcoran, who will be on a future show. In the meantime, the number 1-855-821-5900, help at inyourcorner.ca as well. In Your Corner right here on Global News Radio. In Your Corner, right back at it, 1-855-821-5900, help at inyourcorner.ca. Reminder as well, Global TV show, Sundays at 8.30 a.m., of course, called In Your Corner. If you haven't catched that, uh, do so. We'll get to three facts uh, you may not know about your long-term disability claim, courtesy of our insurance pal, Terry Corcoran, in just a bit. You want to talk a little more about the uh, the week that was, Savannah? What's going on? Yeah, John, let me turn to a question that was posted on our website, mydisabilityquestions.com. This one came from a lady in Scarborough. And here's what she writes. And by the way, she uh, made reference here to the uh, TV show on Sundays at 8.30. Right. Uh, and uh, you know, she apparently really likes it, which is great. Uh, so here's what she writes. She says, I am progressing towards the end of a stroke recovery on LTD, and I'm starting to feel pressured by the insurance company to return to work, although my doctors have sent medical information saying that I still need rehabilitation. I will have to commute long distances, uh, distances, and I'm very uh, worried that the stress would cause another one, another stroke. If I decide that I just want to quit, quit her job while on LTD, can I give a letter of notice, and can the insurance company try to regain the LTD that they've paid uh, for the last few months? They have paperwork from all my doctors, my OT, and physio confirming mm. previous months. So, you know, there are several issues here. And the one that I want to start with is that, again, many people who are on long-term disability and are dealing with their insurance companies and are dealing with pressure from their insurance companies 
also feel pressure from work. And a lot of people are concerned. And so some people will, uh, you know, find themselves being pressured by their employer to either return to work or they will be fired from work or they will be, you know, they will be pressured to quit. Right. You know, the one thing you should be really careful with if you're considering quitting your job uh, for any reason is that once you do that, you are foregoing severance. Severance that the employer is potentially entitled, uh, uh, is, 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 you know, supposed to, to pay you. Uh, but, but, you know, what's concerning me here is that the insurance company is clearly uh, telling her that they want her to start a return to work program. And we see this quite a lot. In fact, I'm seeing more and more people contacting me, telling me that the insurance company that they're dealing with is is trying to not, f- well, they use the word force, but compel them to try a return to work program against their doctor's advice. Right. And again, the message from James and I repeatedly is that you should follow your doctor's recommendations. If you are not ready to go back to work, the insurance company has absolutely no right to force you to even attempt to go back if that's against medical advice. So, of course, people ask us, well, what can the insurance company do if I say no? Well, what they can do is they can tell you that they're going to cut you off. But that's where we step in. That's where we end up advocating for you, fighting for your rights and pushing back against the insurance company. Because remember, the insurance company, the policy is there to protect you, to give you a safety net if you can't work. It makes zero sense for the insurance company then to turn around and say, you have to try a return to work program when you still can't work. It's a pressure tactic. And they're doing that in order to limit your choices or perceived choices. So you don't do that. You stand your ground. You can give us a call. We can guide you through it. But it's it's absolutely essential that you, you, you contact us if the insurance company is telling you that because you are following your doctor's advice and are not willing to try a return to work uh, uh, program at this point, that they're going to cut you off. You have to give us a call at that point. If you don't, you're going to find yourself unable to work and without LTD payments. I agree with everything that you're saying. There is more that I would say, though. There's a practical approach that you can use in this situation that might, in some circumstances serve to prolong how long you're going to get those benefits for. So here's what I would do in that situation. If your insurance company is saying to you, you have to go back to work, and you know if you don't, we're going to cut you off, and your doctors have been telling you you can't do it, and your insurance company says, here's your return to work program. They usually have these formalized programs that show week one, this is how much you're working, week two, so on and so forth. So what you do is you say, first of all, to your insurance company, I would like a copy of that. And then you provide that to your doctor and you have your doctor comment directly on the return to work plan. Give it to your doctor, have your doctor write a letter saying it's appropriate or not appropriate. And if it's not appropriate, why? And what are the risks involved? So at the very least, the insurer knows that your doctor specifically disagrees with this plan and is aware of the actual risks that they are um, putting you to. And if, they, if you do that, they know that they're going to be exposed down the road if they force you back to work, and that will give them pause. That will give them an opportunity to reconsider. And I've actually seen that work. In fact, I saw it work with a client who was fortunate enough that the insurance company actually took that step on their own, and the doctor said, absolutely not, there's no way this person can go back to work, and they actually listened, which is unusual, but it does <laughs> happen from time to time. So that is you know, a piece of practical advice that I would give to someone in that situation, Make sure you get it in writing and have your doctor comment on it specifically. In writing is 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 huge, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It is. Because at the end of the day, you know, you don't want to be in a situation where it's a he said, she said. Because yep. I can guarantee you the insurance company, the adjuster, they're keeping their own records. 
but you know they may not be keeping necessarily the correct records right it's they're a collection of discussions correspondence mm-hmm. sometimes there's you know you have gaps uh, that you see when we get their their files but you want to make sure that you keep things in writing you want to make sure your doctors have things in writing that is absolutely key because those records are contemporaneous it means that they were created while things were actually happening in real time so a year down the road if there is a dispute we look back and there is credibility to those records that you've kept because you recorded those things and your right. doctors record those things when they were actually happening. one 821 5900 is the number that James mentioned to reach out. Do so. Help at inyourcorner.ca is the email address. We'll get into our three facts you may not know about your long-term disability claim. That is on the way courtesy of our pal Terry Corcoran who spent uh, literally decades in the insurance industry. That is coming up. Stick around. More In Your Corner is on the way on Global News Radio. In your corner, we're back. You know the number, one 821 5900 Help at inyourcorner.ca. Guys, this is a... This is going to be a pretty cool segment or two segments anyway. We're talking about uh, three facts you may not know about your long-term disability claim. Terry Corcoran, a pal of yours, Savannah, has been on the show before a couple times. He's going to be coming back very shortly. But he spent a long time uh, in the insurance business, and he knows this back and forth, right? Yeah, he does. Yeah. He does. He's I mean, a, you know, James and I worked for insurance companies. I think Terry was for a very long time, not just working for them, he was in, in a very high position. So he knows how they operate inside and out right. from a very high level. First one we get to, guys, uh, when you apply for your long-term disability, your insurance company allocates a reserve amount for the entirety of your claim. What does that mean? Well, the moment you submit a claim, this according to Terry, regulators, mind you, require the insurer to set aside a thing they call reserve. It's untouchable money designed to provide funds to pay for your claim to its maximum period in case the insurance company were ever to go bankrupt. Who knew that? Uh, It ties up money that otherwise would be available to invest and make money for the insurance company. So they want your claim gone and that quote-unquote reserve to be freed up. Makes sense. The higher the reserve is on your claim, the more attention your claim is going to get. So I never would have known that. Yeah, let's talk about the reserve for a moment because it's a very important concept and it's a little bit technical, so generally it's not something that we get into in mm-hmm. a lot of depth on the show, but I think it's worthwhile giving a shot at it. So the reserve, as Terry has mentioned, is money that's set aside. And Savan and I, having done defense work, have at least been involved in conversations about reserves being set aside. Okay. With adjusters. With adjusters right. on the defense side. That reserve is actually really critical because as Terry's alluding to here, that's setting aside the money that is there to be paid for settlement and for expenses associated with the file, which means the higher the reserve, the more money is available for settlement down the road. And conversely, if there's only a little a little bit of money set aside for the reserve, mm-hmm. then there's not going to be a lot of money that's available for settlement. Now, is it unchangeable? No. But remember, insurance companies are large bureaucracies and act like it. So to change a reserve, it takes an awful lot. It takes a lot of people doing a lot of work and going to their bosses and them going to their bosses right. in order to get more money. It can happen, but it's rare and it's very difficult. So if the reserve is set low early on, you got a problem. So how can you avoid a low reserve and thus lock yourself into something that's not going to be palatable down the road? Well, step number one is hire an experienced lawyer because that is the first thing that the insurance company is going to look at when they get a claim. Who's on the other side? Do they know what they're doing? And are they someone who is willing to take the case to trial if necessary? And if the answer is no to either of those questions, the reserve is going to be lower. It's going to be lower because they know they're going to be able to get away with paying less. 
So that's a really critical concept. You need an experienced lawyer on your side. That is absolutely a factor that the insurance companies and defendants in in personal injury matters look at first and foremost. You know, John, I I, I want to actually talk about something that James just mentioned. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, insurance companies, as he as he said correctly, uh, they are very very aware who's on the other side, who's representing the injured individual or the disabled individual. And I can tell you as a fact, when I did defense work and I had that initial conversation with my client, the adjuster from the insurance company about a particular claim, one of the items that was always discussed is who is on the other side? Is it a lawyer we know? Is it a firm that we know? And let, let me give you an idea. We started the show by me talking about that knee injury, the individual who called, yep. who slipped and fell, had a knee injury. So let's say that a knee injury from a pain and suffering standpoint, if you were to be successful going all the way to court or at settlement, uh, let's say that that kind of an injury would uh, assess at, I don't know, $60,000, $70,000, let's say. I can tell you right now that uh, it, it really depends, that assessment, me telling the adjuster that here's how much money you need to put aside to settle the claim would depend on who the other lawyer is. I can think of five lawyers off the top of my head where if they were on the other side, if they were representing this claimant with that knee injury, I would tell my adjuster to set aside seventy to $80,000 just for pain and suffering. Whereas I can think of another five lawyers off the top of my head where I would tell the adjuster to reserve about twenty to $30,000. No kidding. The individual who's injured would never know about this. In fact, the other lawyers may not even know about this. I mean, the good lawyers would know. But this is how critical it is. There's always a range. I'm not saying that with a good lawyer, you're going to get a million bucks when the claim is worth $10,000. But I'm saying that within that range, insurance companies are affected. They know which lawyers get good results, which lawyers don't get good results. And they also know which lawyers know their files inside and out and which lawyers will sell their clients out. It's no different than, for example, the real estate business. You got the guys who are selling the million-dollar homes and you have the guys who are you know, going for scraps, right? Same kind of thing. So this is absolutely crucial. That reserve, that money the insurance company sets aside for your claim is affected. And that's a fact by which lawyer you have on the other side. No kidding. The other thing I would mention to you, John, is I've had more than my share, I'm sure James would say the same thing, of cases where, you know, I would go in again as a defense lawyer on behalf of the insurance company and we would bring in, let's say, $100,000 with us Okay, not in you know actual bills, yeah, but yeah. as authority to settle a case. Yeah, and I would come out of the mediation, and we had resolved the claim. I had resolved the claim for my client for forty thousand dollars. Nice. I looked like a hero. The adjuster looked like a hero to their superiors. And guess what? That individual on the other side, in the other room, just left sixty thousand dollars on the table and has no idea. And has no, no idea because he hardly hardly hard no idea. No idea. Might actually be really happy with the result. Yeah, that's yeah, right. The so party rubble law firm. You don't want to be. You don't want to be one of these. You know, people who who are in that situation. Yeah. It's absolutely crucial to get yeah. the right people on your side. Phone call starts to get the right people, uh, guys. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred is that number. Help at inyourcorner.ca. We will continue with the three facts you may know about your long term, may not know about your long term disability claim. Number two and number one are on the way. After a short break, this is In Your Corner on Global News Radio. one 855 help at inyourcorner.ca is the email address. Uh, we're on TV as well, by the way. Global TV show, Sunday mornings, 8.30, In Your Corner. 
is on the small screen. Three facts you may not know about your long-term disability claim. We've done one. We'll get to our uh, our second one here, guys. This courtesy of Terry Corcoran, our longtime friend and who spent decades in the insurance industry high up and knows it uh, quite well. Number two is uh, while insurers won't admit they have a quota, they basically do. It says no insurer will admit they have quotas for LTD claim denials or terminations. But they do operate off an uh, actuarial expectations, a predetermined number that for every 100 claims, X should come off the books every month or year. That translates as pressure for adjusters to find ways to deny or get rid of you ASAP. How about that? So listen, again, this doesn't come as a surprise necessarily. It reminds me of the movie with Matt Damon and Danny DeVito, uh, The Rainmaker, I believe it's called, right? Uh, Insurance companies are financial entities. James mentioned that they're like bureaucracies. It's like government, right? I mean, they have quotas. They have things that they have to, they have targets. And, you know, who has to uphold these targets? Well, Everyone, I mean, the adjusters, their supervisors, the managers, all the way up, all the way up to the VP. And you know what? If you have shareholders, you have to provide results. And the way you provide results is by showing that you're making money. And how are you making money? By paying as little as possible, if anything. Wait a minute. Yeah. Are you (laughs) suggesting that adjusters are incentivized to cut claims off early? I'm shocked, absolutely not, to learn that there's gambling going on in this establishment. (laughs) Shocked! <laughs> you're kidding. Uh, but you know what? You're you're making you know uh, fun of this. I mean, you're, here's the thing: people. We talk to people. You talk to people. I speak with people all the time who are shocked at that concept because it's happening to them. In the abstract, people understand this because they watch movies, Hollywood. By the way, they watch Hollywood. They they watch Rainmaker, and they're thinking to themselves, John Grisham. You know, it's a John Grisham book. It's a story based on you know fictional characters. The reality. I think, in my experience, the insurance companies act even worse than what we're seeing in Hollywood. And this is an example of that. So when I get this, when I got this email from Terry about this, about the fact that there are these you know, quotas, even though they don't have official quotas, right. I'm not surprised, but people out there are, and they're skeptical. They're listening to us, insurance lawyers on the other side, and they're saying, well, of course you guys are going to say that. You guys are on the other side. You're interested in promoting this agenda. That is the reality. And this is coming from someone who spent decades in the insurance industry. So what's the message? Don't become one of those statistics. That's the reality. Because you know, hundreds and tens of thousands of people who are affected by this, these individuals are all statistics. You who are listening or knowing someone who is going through this, that person becoming a statistic, that becomes, that's not a statistic, it's a tragedy, right? That person not actually fighting for their rights, fighting for the money that they are actually owed by the insurance company. The, the other lesson from the Rainmaker is don't hire a lawyer named Bruiser, but... Ah. Or a parallel. That's a different show. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we should mention as well. Terry is as, as good a friend he is, and he's been on the show before. He's we, he's no in no way associated with you or the firm. He's just a no. Guy. He's he just is a contributor. That's yeah, all. he has no association. No. He, he's he's but he's extremely intelligent and extremely knowledgeable of the yeah. industry. It's been around a long time. Very much so. We'll get to number three here on the three facts you may not know about your long-term disability claim. Uh, interesting stuff. Stick around for it. You want to reach out in the meantime, one 821 5900 help at inyourcorner.ca. This is In Your Corner on Global News Radio.
1-855-821-5900, help at inyourcorner.ca. We are talking about the three facts you may know about your long-term disability claim. This, courtesy of our pal Terry Corcoran, who spent decades in the insurance industry. He's not associated with this show or with your firm, of course, but he's just a pal, and he provides uh, some interesting and enlightening content. Number three, AI, artificial intelligence, has arrived. How about this? Artificial intelligence has arrived and is looking at your LTD claim. Adjusters usually do not have extensive uh, medical backgrounds. Many insurers have uploaded disability duration guides to their computer systems. When your claim forms arrive and get scanned, the diagnosis or a code for it is entered, and the first thing the adjuster sees on his or her screen is a forecast for how long someone with your condition is typically paid, potentially taken away from human thought and logic. AI for STD and LTD is in its infancy now, but it is in use, and we'll have to see what the future brings. That's scary. It is, but it's really not much scarier than what actual people are doing with these files right here and now. Uh, We see the disability duration guidelines used, um, whether it's computerized or not, I don't know, but I see this on my files quite regularly. And so the problem with these is, you know, they in theory could at least be a starting point to inform critical thought on, you know, what this file should look like, but that's all they are. They are a starting point at best. But if you're looking at someone who is suffering from, multiple conditions. First of all, the person who's entering it has to account for all of those conditions. And then whatever program you're using has to be able to understand how these interact with each other. Somebody who has depression and anxiety and post-traumatic stress disorder is likely going to have a more difficult road ahead than someone with any one of those three individually. Right. But you know these things lie on a continuum as well, too. There are different severities for any condition that you're talking about, and is the person who is inputting this into whatever system we're talking about, are they accounting for the level of severity with this particular individual? And so if these things aren't addressed, the system can't possibly spit out a good answer, even if it's designed to account for all those things. And they're not. They're not. When they are used, they are used in the most rudimentary kind of way. Whatever the primary issue is that the person is suffering from, they'll put that in and it'll spit out some answer that the disability duration guide suggests that someone with this condition will be better in two months. And that's going to be what they base it on. They don't go to a doctor. They just say, okay, well, it's two months. You should be better by now. That's what we see. I hope that it's going to be better than that down the road. (laughs) One would hope, but I don't have a lot of faith that it will. You know, when I got the uh, the notes from Terry about the AI, I, I heard Schwarzenegger's uh, voice. You know, this is the LTD Terminator. And really, at the end of the day, that's the concern. Not so much that they're going to use AI, that they're going to abuse the system, and they're going to rely on it like a crutch, right? I mean, they're not going to use it to actually help them assess whether or not claims legitimately should be denied or people should be cut off benefits. Is that they're going to use that to their advantage to strengthen that position against, in the, against individuals who are legitimately disabled. And again, it, it makes the point even, even more uh, uh, powerful how much uh, lawyers like us, James and I, are, are going to be vitally important right. to yeah. fighting back these tactics. So again, nothing wrong with AI. What's wrong is the potential abuse of the system, of the system uh, in the future, the way that we've seen other things like the guides being abused. 
since the accuracy is not really super high with this thing, you guys just kind of brush it off pretty quickly and move past it? No, actually, we hone in on it and we abuse them for using nice. it. Nice. Right? I mean, if they're, if they're using it, especially if it's someone who doesn't understand what the purpose of these guides are, then it's really exposing them to a punitive damages claim. And so here's what I think is going to happen. I, I think what you're going to see is you're going to find a case where an insurance company blindly relies on a disability duration guide in a ridiculous way where anybody with common sense looking at it would understand that the person they're talking about is a real person who is suffering to an extent far greater than this guide is giving them credit for. And they make a decision based on the guide without consulting with the doctor, and it goes to trial, and the judge is going to slap them with it. And once that happens, that will put a chill into using this so blindly. I think that's really the critical step, is that, you know, we need a judicial decision out there that is commenting on the use and, in fact, misuse of the disability duration guides. 1-855-821-5900 is the number, guys, to get a hold of uh, James and Savannah. Remember the team, no problem. Help at inyourcorner.ca. Want to uh, reach out to an email. In that regard, Denise, your email's up first. Denise says, I'm a teacher, and about two years ago, I was assaulted at my school by an older student. I've been struggling with the trauma ever since then, and recently my long-term insurer uh, decided to cut off my benefits because they say that I can do some other office job. I haven't been able to cope with uh, what happened despite weekly psychological treatments. I'm wondering if there is any recourse for me and whether I should offer to meet with the insurance company psychologist, like the adjuster suggested, so that I don't get cut off. Uh, you know what? I was going to uh, take a shot at this, but James is the teacher expert, uh, having represented so many teachers, uh, some of which have been in the media. I'll let him answer this. Well, okay. The First and foremost, you know, you don't have to go see... Uh, whoever it is that the insurance company is telling you to see. And if you have your own psychologist, you're certainly not required to switch. So that's the first thing I want to hone in on here. There is no policy that is going to say that the insurer has the right to choose your treatment provider. They can insist that you're getting appropriate treatment, but that doesn't mean that they get to pick and choose who you're seeing. And if you like who you're seeing, then you can stay with them and the insurance company can't make you switch. If they insist that they can and they say, if you don't see this particular provider, we're going to cut you off, then number one, as we keep saying, make sure you get that in writing. And number two, insist that they tell you where in the policy it entitles them to choose your treatment provider. Tell them to point you to the specific provision in the policy that allows them to do it. So no, they can't make you go see whoever it is that they want to. Now, from a practical standpoint, should you? Well, that's really a different question because ideally what you want to do is you want to prolong how long you're getting these benefits for right. before they eventually cut you off. And if you refuse to do something that they're insisting on, they will cut you off. Now, that doesn't mean you won't have a very strong legal case down the road, but if you want to prolong how long you're getting your benefits for, you may want to consider, especially if if they are suggesting you get treatment with a provider in a discipline that you're not already getting treatment for. If they're suggesting that you're getting that you get psychological counseling and you're not seeing a psychologist already, then perhaps it is worthwhile taking their suggestion. You may want to choose a different provider, and that's fine. But you know you have to try and be as reasonable as you can and accommodating as you can without putting yourself at risk and without uh, stopping the treatment that you're already getting. Yeah, no, I agree with everything, and I think we touched on this in the last show where we said that. Uh, even if you have concerns about certain things that they are suggesting to you, the insurance mm-hmm. company wants you to do something, 
be careful on wording your disapproval or or um, uh, saying that you don't want to do something that they're asking you. Instead, especially if you're confirming this in writing, which you should uh, you know, via Always, email, for example, yeah. uh, explain your concerns and, and, and reiterate that you are interested in cooperating and doing everything you can to get better. And, and that if you need something extra, for example, if they want you to see somebody that's five hours away, it's too far from me, I would like to see that person. Don't say, I don't want to see that person. So very important that you know you, you, you don't tell the insurance company you don't want to do something unless there's a really, really good reason for you not to. Right. Instead, what is it that they need to do to make that happen, to, make, to, you know, to help you uh, essentially follow whatever it is, whatever recommendations or suggestions they, they are proposing? One more point I want to make about this, and this is a little bit technical, but Denise has been getting her benefits for two years. So she's at what we call the change of definition. That means in order to get her benefits beyond the two years, she has to be able to show that her disability prevents her from returning to any occupation that she can do by education, training, or experience. And this is a reference she's making to her insurance company saying that she can do some other office job. Now, I'm curious whether that has been defined a little bit better by her insurance company. Sometimes when they're getting to the change of definition, an insurance company will do something called a transfer a transferable skills analysis. And that is a uh, an exercise where the insurance company will hire somebody to assess you and see what education training experience you have and how that might be applied to some other job. Then they will find other jobs that fit that training, education, and experience and see how much money you could make based on those jobs and whether or not it would be sufficient so that you would no longer qualify under the plan. Now, that is a very detailed process that comes out with very specific jobs. You could be you know, a clerk in this kind of industry or this kind of job. It's very specific. This does not seem to be what's happened here with Denise. And when I see language like this, language like some other office job, now Denise might just be, um, you know, being vague because it's an email. But if that's the way the insurance company has put it to her, it suggests to me they haven't done this analysis. And if they haven't done this kind of analysis, it's usually quite intentional because they know the end result is going to come up with something that doesn't help them. They went through this, they would find that the only jobs that might be available to her are jobs that wouldn't meet the criteria that would allow them to terminate the benefits. And so I suspect that is, in fact, what's happened here. They haven't actually done the work, and it's intentional. We'll get to another email after a uh, quick break, guys. You want to uh, hang on for that, Sheldon? You're up next. The email address, by the way, help at inyourcorner.ca, the number 1-855-821-5900. And, of course, on Global TV with In Your Corner, that is Sundays at 8.30 in the morning. In Your Corner continues on Global News Radio. 1-855-821-5900 is the number to get a hold of Savannah or James, a member of the team at the firm. You can email as well, help at inyourcorner.ca. Sheldon, up next, says, uh, he emails in, says, my brother was cycling and was hit by a car over a year ago. Broke his back, dislocated his knee. He was in the hospital for over a month and is still recovering, but it'll be a very long road, according to his doctors. We haven't started any legal claim against the driver who was the police said was at fault. To compound the problem, he was fired from his job after the accident and his LTD insurance uh, through work has stopped now too. I'm not sure what we should do at this point. It's overwhelming for everybody in the family. Sheldon, thanks for writing uh, on, on behalf of your brother and, and your family. I mean, this is, this is a, a horrible situation and it really hits a lot of things that we've been talking about on the show. 
So, you know, th- th- let's let, let's unpack this. First of all, uh, Sheldon's brother, John, has, um, has an accident claim, a car accident claim, but he's got two types of claims in relation to the car accident itself. One is called accident benefit. These are benefits he could get immediately from his own uh, insurance company if he has it, auto insurance. Now, he was a cyclist. If he doesn't have his own auto insurance, well, then he's going to get those accident benefits from the insurance company of the car that hit him. So these things we can put in place immediately, and those include medical rehabilitation expenses, those include potential income loss replacement uh, in the event that he can't work, which of course he wouldn't be able to with these kinds of injuries at this point. So very, very important to get this going and set up immediately. The second thing, the second type of, of a claim is called a tort claim, and that's against the person who actually hit him. Now, given the fact that the police actually um, presumably charged here, I think the other driver, apparently they found him uh, uh, to be at fault, uh, he's going to have a a claim which could be fairly significant. And what some lawyers do is they'll simply wait on on starting that claim, that tort claim, they'll wait a year, maybe even two years. And in a case like this, I would not wait one second. As soon as I know exactly who was responsible, who's the owner of the vehicle that hit Sheldon's brother, I would start that claim immediately because it's going to take some time to sort everything out. And that claim is for pain and suffering, future income losses, and a whole slew of other types of benefits. So that's the first thing we're dealing with here is we're dealing with the car accident. But John, there are other issues here we have to deal with urgently. The second thing is obviously is with the the, the the job issue. I mean, he was just fired. There's an employment issue here. And, and remember, all of these issues, even though we're dealing with different uh, uh, entities and different companies and individuals, they're all intertwined. The car accident claim, the employment claim, there's a long-term disability claim here that we have to start. Everything has to be done in my opinion, at the same time, not necessarily resolved at the same time, but we have to start all of these claims immediately. And you also want to be very, very careful in going to separate lawyers at separate firms who are going to be taking on different parts of this case, because if the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing, then the individual who's going to suffer most is the person who is in the middle of it, the person who's now injured, their family who are not going to be able to maximize all their damages. So there is a ton of stuff. We can do actually a whole show, I think, just on this one email. Yeah, and I what agree. I would suggest, what I would suggest to Sheldon is that we get together. You know, we can go see him and his family. Again, there's no cost to this, so we can explain in detail all right. of those rights, everything that he and his family need to do right now. And if they want to proceed and actually take our advice, that's fine. That's great. We can represent them. They can go elsewhere. I don't really care as long as they understand all of the rights with respect to all of these claims. Remember, four claims, accident benefits, tort, employment, long-term disability, all of these claims have to be dealt with now. One of the interesting things about this case, and there's a lot, is the employment side of it. So for those who listen to our show on a weekly basis or watch the TV show, you know that there is an interplay between a severance pay between severance pay and long-term disability and we typically try and deal with the severance after long-term disability because usually usually not always but usually severance is deductible in other words it's a credit to the long-term disability carrier in this particular case he was fired from his job after he was in what sounds like a horrific accident with serious injuries that is certainly opening up human rights claims oh, yeah. significant human rights claims and those are not 
recoverable by the long-term disability carrier. So that's a really big issue. And so there may be a lot that can be done all at once. We may be able to deal with it all at the same time as someone was suggesting. So you're saying his severance, he'll get credit, or at least the insurance company could get credit for that. But if he gets human rights damages up and above that, which could be significant, they can't touch well, that? Well, so, so John, you know, this is like a puzzle. And okay. this is exactly the point that James is making here. And the point that I was making before, which is that if you were to go to different lawyers. So you have, let's say, a lawyer that's dealing with the employment aspect. Right. Maybe you hire someone else to even do the human rights portion, someone else to do the car accident. They're not necessarily talking to each other. In fact, the chances are they're not. So you have a, 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 a mismatch of information sure. that's going out to all of these companies you're going after. And that is the concern. The concern is that the individual, at the end of the day, who is you know, out of pocket, a lot of money and who's been injured severely here is going to be in a situation where they may be getting uh, severance because they were fired, but the long-term disability insurer may say, well, we're entitled to a credit for that right. as opposed to playing it strategically, right? So this is, you know, for us, this is like chess. It's very, very important to, be, to you know, to put the pieces where they're supposed to be at, at the right time. If you don't, I'm telling you, they are not thousands, but tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars at stake here that could be lost by this person and their family. A billion reasons to reach out to these guys anytime. We're going to wrap it for another show. You want to do so, one 821 5900 help at And a reminder, Global TV show In Your Corner happens Sunday mornings on Global at 8.30 in the morning. Till next time, In Your Corner on Global News Radio.